You're listening to Songs in a Strange Land, foraging in the landscape of faith, culture and creativity. Well, welcome to another uh, Songs in a Strange Land. Um, we are back to just the two of us. Yeah. After, after our, our welcoming in of a third member. Yeah, a few excursions, a few summer yeah. trips out and yeah. trying some different stuff, but it's now just us two and a sofa and a cup of tea. Or a, a G and T, actually, in your well, case. I've got a, I've got a gin and tonic. I'm going through a bit of a gin and tonic phase at the moment. Um, yeah, we thought we would um, go back to a slight bit. Well, I th- I'm very surprised we've not mentioned Walter Brueggemann more. Mm. Um, we've we've talked a lot about Bonhoeffer, uh, Hauras. I'm sure I've mentioned many times, but Walter Brueggemann. If we're really talking about exile imagery, Walter Brueggemann seems to be the person to go to, really. Um, and I'm very surprised we haven't touched on him before. No. So Pete and I were discussing about uh, what we would talk about. And um, I was at a conference last month and uh, it was a great conference down in Birmingham. And a guy called Johnny Baker, who works for CMS, which is a Christian mission society. Um, uh, he was leading a session on hopeful imagination, which is a quote from a, well, a title of a Walter Brueggemann book. And um, Johnny's particular passion is poetry and the prophetic and pioneer ministry. Um, So it was a great conversation. And he talked about exile and the role of prophets in the exiles. Um, And it just thought, I just thought, this is what we should talk about. This is definitely where we should go. Yeah. Um, For me, it was a it was a new topic, really. I'd not read any Walter Brueggemann. I'd heard people talk about him occasionally quote him but actually for whatever reason the kind of churchmanship I've grown up in he he's not someone who gets brought out very often which is surprising really because he is so biblical yeah and and evangelicals don't really use him very much but um but there we go he's he's one of those authors um saying earlier he's a bit like Pete Rollins in that he has one idea and then he publishes five books on it Mm. And um, he is a prolific writer, is Walter Brueggemann. Um, I think he's well into his hundreds uh, in terms of publications. Um, and one of his major themes is this kind of prophetic imagination in preaching and and the kind of use of the poetic in uh, in exploring God and faith and spirituality. Um, so right up our street. Yeah. So a brief outline really is to where where his thoughts are um and i would really recommend you read probably his seminal book prophetic imagination or any one of the imagination books or his writings on preaching um and i'm sure he'll mention this but the basic argument that Walter Brueggemann's putting across is um the prophet's role in the old testament was to draw out those unexplainable parts that everyone sort of knew but were trying to hide from um and it was a prophetic and a violent action. Poetry was something that was speaking against what he calls royal consciousness, this sort of empire which takes our imagination away from us and makes us just slaves um, and just happy to go along with the status quo. And the prophet comes in and breaks that with imagery that we that gets underneath that logical and systematic and um, that kind of thinking that we get into. Um and um, and he's now Walter Brueggemann argues that we always need that prophetic imagination to to break those 
more kind of hard linear sort of thought patterns into more uh, kind of multi-vocal sort of thought patterns that poetry does so well um and uh and he wrote a book Walter Bloom wrote a book called finally comes the prophets oh no finally comes the poet sorry uh, which is a quote from a Walt Whitman uh, poem which we'll read a little later on um and uh and the poem kind of talks about how uh, these kind of engineers and the voyagers and the scientists and all these people really important at helping us to understand the world but we can get kind of stuck in this kind of static kind of thought process and and then finally comes the poets which brings life and breathes hope and a new imagination and a new world and a new vision into it um i think that that walt whitman poems it's got a real sort of sense of the the spirit of kind of western pioneering and empire it's called a passage to india mm. so it, it's got that whole direction moving into new territory and it, i think is you know that building of the Suez Canal mm. seems to be one of his other big motifs mm. in there, and kind of look what man can achieve. Mm. But it it then lands at that point of it can build things and it can understand mechanics, but you need the poets to come along and breathe meaning into yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I mean that's that's kind of incredibly relevant and a yeah. incredibly relevant discussions. Yeah, and today. that sense in which uh, the, the postmodern thought and even whatever's post postmodern. Um, that thing of we we've come we've achieved we've progressed we've you know we've got a grasp of the universe we are you know understanding yeah there's still more to do but we've kind of got a sense of where we're headed um progress is good and all that sort of stuff and actually yet we are more dissatisfied and we've lost something and it's that sort of heartbeat um and that's why the spiritual seekers are on the increase because we're all looking for that you know that thing which actually poets and artists are bringing in um and uh and we need more of that and we need it in the church particularly um and uh and there are some great examples um at the moment and uh one of my friends is a as a poet um and he is, he does some amazing work uh with trying to explore those unexplainable parts of the human condition um, and kind of brings in his face to it, and we might be able to persuade him to come and have a chat about yeah. that. Is that um, Tim? That's Tim. Yeah. Tim Watson. He's very good to look up. Um, he does some great poetry. Um, so that's the kind of that's the Walter Brueggemann's idea. Is it? We, you know, we need this hopeful imagination, this way in which we can talk and giving space to the poet and the artist to come and uh, uh, inspire us with, you know that world beyond our logical mechanics, um, that world of the heart and of the spirit, um, the dreams and the imaginations to give us a sort of framework by which to see a new possibility that another world is possible. Um, yeah. I think that's that's what really struck me. So I um, most of what I'm saying comes from listening to a, a really great interview with Walter Brueggemann, which was done by Krista Tippett on a, a podcast or an American radio show called On Being. And you can you can look that up. We'll probably stick a link in the description because it's, it's a really... Great. They're great yeah. podcasts and, and they do yeah. great kind of across the philosophical spectrum and the religious spectrum. On Being is a great podcast yeah. to go to. Yeah. It's a good, yeah. It's a really, often a really good pricey of what someone's kind of work has been about. Um, and I think the the things that really struck me from listening to that was that 
the fact that Walter Ruggerman is so keen on the breadth of scripture. He's keen on kind of including the laments as part of the poetry. He's keen on including the hope, the kind of celebration and praise of creation, mm. the the kind of um, the despair when history or, or God or world events or whatever seems to be taking a downward turn and, and the joy when it kind of rises and really, um, really kind of riding that through scripture and kind of um, understanding that as a, a poetic voice that's mm-hmm. taking you to, to kind of extremes. And I think it was kind of in one point in the interview, he says that actually the, his thought is that the prophets were sort of poets first and foremost. They didn't turn up going, I'm getting a prophetic vision from God. They they dreamed the dreams, they wrote the poems, they they lived with this and it emerged that mm. God was speaking. Yeah, and I think also there's that, that, that <coughs> being poets first, that sense in which there's a frustration at the moment in our in our age where people are going, Well what's emerging? You know, what what's emerging and you know, we need we need the details, we need the specific how does this work? And um and one of the frustrating things with the poetic is they're not that bothered about about that. Mm. They're, they're, the details will discover themselves, you know. Um, but actually, this is playtime. This is um, exploration. This is things which chime true deep within your being, which are beyond words. Um, and uh, and there's that sense in which you know the prophets. I'm sure are exactly the same. Where. You know, they come and they kind of say, oh, I'm going to lie on my side for seven years and, you know, do these kind of physical actions, these performance pieces. And people go, yeah, well, it's all very well you prattling around doing that and larking around. But, you know, if you've got a complaint, you've got to come up with a solution. And they again and again just refuse solutions and they mm. and they just respond with the poetic. And, um, and it rings true to us when we read it. But at the time, I bet they were a source of great frustration. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Actually, that really strikes me as maybe jumping us forward a bit, but thinking about there's been a lot of criticism or sort of thought churning, maybe is a good phrase, about emerging church stuff and, and kind of where the church is at. And, you know, lots of people getting really excited about new forms of church, whether they called it fresh expressions or kind of de-churched people, all, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of feels like maybe this is mainly online. There's a bit of a backlash and a bit of a kind of, well, what's this about? Where's this going? And it does it. It kind of robs it of that ability to go, yeah, we're, we're, we feel like we've got something to say which is relevant now and which needs to be said now and which we're being compelled to say. Let's not jump ahead into a, into a business model or yeah. a church model and you kind of, if you if you're always looking ahead to okay, how does this, how do the nuts mm. and bolts of this work? You miss that vision. Yeah. So where do you think, where do you think the poetic voice fits in to the church at the moment? Where do you think it it goes? Um, I think I mean very often, as we've sort of said before, it's it's an outside voice. Mm. Um, so. I guess I know so many people who their their worship and their spirituality is is fueled less by reading kind of Christian self help books. That's maybe a bit diminutive, but the kind of the very easy to pick up. They'll give you a bit of a boost at the end of the day with some relevant Bible verses. And actually, what they're often hungry for is kind of 
the the songwriters who are dealing with the kind of yeah. the real struggle of stuff. I mean, I I must have mentioned him before. I always come back to Sufjan Stevens as someone who writes wonderful lyrics, which include God in with the mess of life. Mm. Um, and I think any and any kind of piece of art, whether that's kind of music, whether that's mm. kind of um, drawn, painted art, um, all that kind of stuff will always have, will pull people broader than what can be said in a church service obviously yeah. often. Um, one of the one of the interesting things that Goldman <coughs> explores in several books um, is this the role of the community of prophets that um, that we often see the prophet as a solo individual off on his own some um, and it was in the Old Testament anyway um, a he um, but that actually there was if we rob it of the the real power of the community of prophets who sort of tested one another, gave one another encouragement to to explore um, often through the poetic or the performance or the art um, artistic, um, and was there to sort of collaborate um, to uh, to challenge to to test stuff against um, so that it wasn't kind of direct line to God and you know what I say goes but actually it's worked out in the wrestle um, and in the community which is which is really encouraging actually um, mm. where and we know it with art um, well certainly I do anyways that I do my best writing or creating when in a team of people who are also doing it and you get into a get a real sense of the presence of God or the divine or a kind of common consciousness, whatever you want to call it. Um, when you're working with these people and you're kind of throwing out stuff which is inspired and then someone grabs it and says, yes, and also. Um, and you, you create something much more beautiful with that multi-vocal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really exciting thing. Um, and something we lose in scripture because we see it as a solo prophet kind of yeah. sitting on his own writing. Actually, there was there was often schools of them. Um, yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, there are a few references. He's always Ezekiel, which mm. is uh, where there's references. There's the it's a reference I can remember to his community, mm. and there's the whole the one where there's the the kind of poison in the yeah. stew. And there's a community of prophets sitting around and he kind of says, don't eat it. And yeah, yeah. it's kind of um, a kind of sort of an odd miracle, but actually it's a great reason it's included. It's a, it's a testament to the fact that he wasn't just a lone yeah. voice. And I think that's really important when we think about art and the poetic in the church of um, quite often we, we sort of allow art to happen um, but there's no encouragement to kind of join with others. Mm. You know, the, the person who paints during worship does it on their own. Um, and actually, there, there was a lady who, um, at this conference, actually, um, my friend Tim, who's this poet, was poet in residence, and there was an artist in residence who um, painted or created a collage during the, the two-day conference. Um, but actually, her work, which she produced came from other people bringing stuff she she had a session on the first day people brought stuff and she 
she put that together and she was just kind of um, bringing together all this sort of collaborative work um, on a theme and produce this wonderful artwork and everyone goes oh well, isn't this one artwork wonderful and she was the first one to say yeah we created it together um, and there's something really powerful about that um, which we can learn from in terms of the church if we're going to really harness the artistic and the poetic mm -hmm. actually saying where do we where do we create communities of creativity yeah. and communities of the prophets yeah it is a fine balance isn't it because i you definitely can't create something by committee mm. often you need either a director or, a, or or the person bringing the work together but um to to really it just sharpens it and, and brings it to a point and they or an editor maybe they see the best mm. they see the direction that things are heading in and particularly within a community that can be really helpful and that doesn't always have to be one person that can kind of move around um but i think there is a yeah there's a real value to that and there's a real value just to keeping the amount of influencers and the the kind of whether that's coming from speakers preachers different mm -hmm. artists different musicians the you'd be amazed how you start bouncing ideas together kind of seeing what happens when you kind of play around with things pull mm. things about see what happens if you take oh well what if we did took the words of that psalm and tried to paint them what if mm. we took a secular poem and tried to yeah. um, work out how it fits with god you kind of that furnace of ideas creates mm. so much more than the, the sum of its parts often mm. um, yeah there's there was a there's an activity i once did i can't remember where i did it is that some worship event and um it's essentially you know the game consequence mm. where someone either draws the head of someone and leaves the button you the next person then they pass it over and they write and they draw something else and um it was basically worship consequences where um they read a piece of scripture um and it was unknown to to the others they read a piece of scripture and they they sort of paraphrased it or or kind of responded to it in some way, either poetics or art or whatever they what they wanted. And they passed their finished product to to the next person. And that person took that piece as a solo piece without knowing the inspiration and then responded to it in a different way, mm. you know, in whatever way they wanted to respond to it. Or they added to it or, or they kind of created something new and they passed it on and so on and so on. Um, and they did it round a circle. So each person started something and they they all participated. And then at the end, there was sort of like the results of their worship Chinese whispers or whatever. Mm. Um, and it was a really interesting process of collaboration where you sort of hand over your art to be responded to. And, and from that, the kind of, yeah, this kind of through line happens, which kind of you see from the beginning right through um which you wouldn't have predicted as the original person and you can set in motion this is what this piece is about um but actually new things are discovered and you and it causes you to look at your work differently um which is amazing and is there there's that element of kind of suddenly understanding and um, i don't want to use such a grandiose word like a divine but you know that sense in which something's bigger than yourself yeah that you are channeling something which um, you have no consciousness of. Yeah. Um, and that was fascinating to, to explore. Yeah. I think that's a really important lesson for the church, actually, to be really 
naked about the process because I mean it, it's not just the church it's secular society as well right, right from kind of romantic poets where the, the individual was the key and and they present that final work that they've been honing and crafting and working on and that feels spontaneous and very present and very kind of in that moment but actually it's taken all that process and if you assume and, and church is like that actually church doesn't just happen there and then sometimes there are moments where the holy spirit turns up and something spontaneous happens but actually being aware of that process that builds community and builds that engagement and building that into services or building yeah. that into how it how it all fits together could be can be really powerful and it's, really inviting to other it, people yeah and it's hard to hide that that inspiration you know being in the spirit you know it it's difficult to yeah to 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 put it down to anything else you know you just kind of go something really special has happened here you know we, we, no one none of us could have controlled it or manipulated mm. that it was what it was um and uh and that's just, that that moment of encounter with something which you can't explain um but binds you all together is is really special yeah um i think <clears throat> i think the um johnny baker just returned to to, to johnny who kind of uh, encouraged me to relook at walter brueggemann um he's part of a community well, i think he might still be part of a community called grace which is in um ealing in london and they uh they came out with the phrase curating worship. Um, so their worship services on, I think it's once a month or every twice a month, um, is curated by someone and it's open to anyone. So even if you've never been before, you can go and be part of the planning committee uh, and say, actually, I want to bring something. And one person is in charge of curating the space. So there's a theme. They explore the theme together Um and uh, people say, oh, this theme makes me think of this and I would like to offer this. And each individual person brings it and it's the curator's job to to frame it and to shape the, the journey through the art or whatever it is. And um, and it's I used it in my dissertation when I was talking about how to create creative communities and how we could harness the creativity um, in the church to kind of come up with new ways of doing church. Um and used it as a great example of how you were saying, you know, don't want to do stuff by committee, but actually there's a way in which someone can curate, which is being sensitive to the piece, mm. but also responding to it and sort of kind of shaping how the audience interact with it without diminishing any of the power of it um, and bringing all these different separate bits together into one unit. Um, and it's it's as non-hierarchical as you can sort of yeah. get because that curator will change. So the next one week you might be going, oh, actually, I'm I'm going to paint a picture and we'll see what comes of it and we'll we'll hang it in a space and people can engage with it. And then the next week you go, actually, I'll I'll gather people's materials together. Um, or another week you might be writing liturgy, all those sorts of things. Um, and that's a really exciting. I went to one service which they did, um, and. Uh, and although one person was up the front leading it and was kind of guiding people through it and there was open space for people to uh, open time to just to explore the different things um it it kind of just made it made a new world possible you know and you suddenly go actually we're seeing a glimpse of 
a community wrestling with an idea and this is a snapshot mm. and it's not complete but it's sort of it's enough for me as an audience member I can just I can be a consumer or actually I'm also being invited into this community to, yeah. to offer something else yeah um, I, mean, I think for me those so often those fragmented pictures of a bigger idea are what really get me interested and excited and engaged in it mm. when you've not got a a kind of packaged right we've reached the end of this this is the conclusion we've wrapped it up neatly it's why things like stories are often such good illustrations because they open out the possibility rather than Mm. kind of closing it up um yeah i think that ability to curate or order or, or plan something where you can take these different parts which they fit together and you can see their connection to a central idea mm. but they just start to move out and spread out for human experience it's about giving giving us as humans an opportunity to to break free of that modernity of everything's got to be tied up and nice and neat mm-hmm. um because that's not the reality of life we we are as I said before, you know, we are living paradoxes. We are, um, that is what we are. It's part of our life. And anything that expresses that seems more real to us. And yet we, we shy away from it. We block ourselves off from it. Um, and our our need for neat lines and understanding everything in, in a scheme and a systematic way, we're going to always be frustrated. Mm-hmm. We're always going to be disappointed with it. Um, and then comes... Then comes the prophets or the the poets and the artists who who kind of say, yeah, there's always something beyond. There's a dream beyond, um, which spurs us on and 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 is satisfying in its incompleteness or in its in its vagueness, if you like. Um, yeah, which is exciting. Yeah, that was from that Walter Brueggemann interview, the the on being one. That was one of the other points that really struck me and and. I, I didn't even need to kind of make a note of it to remember it. I've been kind of contemplating it for the past few days. Um, he kind of talked about the fact that the way the Bible responds to idols and idolatry is not to restrict God, but is to give you multiple images to the one God and multiple roots in multiple kind of facets of, of his personality, of, of who God is. Um, and actually so often if we try and create a, a line of theology which is all neatly packaged and tied up it's like you kind of you squash a 3d image down to a 2d one and you you lose so much of the nuance and the ability to engage mm. and and there is there's there is value to creating that kind of very linear theology and there's that can be helpful for understanding things mm. but you can't restrict yourself to that you end up restricting your your understanding of god so often. yeah and yeah and you, you're touching on the the ideas of pete rollins and the idolatry of god and 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 you know uh, act 15 i'm making that number up i think when he's in athens when paul's in athens and he does the image of the unknown god you sort of all these idols are fine but actually this one where the altar is empty and and you're kind of free to project mm-hmm. um he's more close to it because actually God can't be made into a form or just one form and the moment you do it's idolatry because it's constricting God to that form and nothing else um, and actually where do we give God the freedom to be who he is in all his multi facets and 
um, and its different images. Um, there was, um, I guess, just to kind of finish off and to tie up, really, because uh, we've come to the end of our time. Um, we, you and I were in a Bible study, I'll call it that, prayer time at uh, Riding Lights, and um, one of the members there led us and showed us Zechariah chapter 1. And I'll only read uh, one, one verse of it, Zechariah 1, uh, 18 to uh, 24, I think. No, no, 22. Um, so Zechariah has been faced with the destruction of Israel and, uh, and Judah and, um, and all is lost. And, you know, lots of people try to stop it, but, but no one succeeded. Um, and so he has a second vision uh, and it says this. Uh, and I looked up and saw four horns. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four artisans. And I asked, what are they coming to do? And he answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no head could be raised. But these artisans have come to terrify them to strike down the horns of the nations that lifted up against the land of Judah to scatter its people. There's a sense in which there's these things that came and destroyed the world and, and you know, came in with its power and its empire and its royal consciousness, to quote Brueggemann. Um, and then after they came in, the only thing that could defeat them was the poets and the artists and those that uh, that had a, a new consciousness. And, and these powerful people could not argue with them because they were... They, they lived on a different world and in a different vision. They didn't understand them. Um, and something really powerful about that, and it reminds me of that Walter Whitman. So maybe we'll close on the Walt yeah. Whitman quote. Yeah, as I say, while you find that, it is, it is true to say I think so many either revolutions or changes in society, they're, they're driven by the artists first. Mm. Um, yeah. They kind of come up with the, the vision which really captures people's imaginations and creates a whole people movement rather than a, a slightly kind of bureaucratic, bureau, bureaucratic shuffling into the right place of a system. Um, but yeah, go, go for a bit of Walt Whitman to finish. After the seas are all crossed, as they seem already crossed, after the great captains and engineers have accomplished their work, after the noble inventors, after the scientists, the chemists, the geologist, the ethnologist, finally shall come the poet, worthy that name. The true son of God shall come singing his songs. Then not your deeds only, O voyagers, O scientists and inventors, shall be justified. All these hearts, as of fretted children, shall be soothed. All affection shall be fully responded to. The secret shall be told. All these separations and gaps shall be taken up and hooked and linked together, the whole earth, this cold, impassive, voiceless earth, shall be completely justified. Trinitas divine shall be gloriously accomplished and compacted by the true Son of God, the poet. You've been listening to Songs in a Strange Land. Please send any comments or questions to songsinastrangeland at gmail.com.
so glad we got back onto deep theology, wrestling with the really things that matter, all of those sorts of things. I'm so glad, and uh, I'm, oh, it just gets me buzzing, don't, doesn't it? You don't, doesn't it get you buzzing? Uh, uh, yeah. I, do you know what? I miss having a third person to tell you the truth. No, it's I mean, great having just the two of us. Just the two of us chewing the cud, getting really important issues out on the table. Not and no distractions with this third person. And the sentences get really long, and I lose track. To tell you the truth, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I don't. I forget we're even recording a podcast. Well, I I personally think that that podcast was one of our best, one of the best. We got theology, but we also got into Walt Whitman. I forgot how great Walt Whitman is. I mean, yeah, his poems are slightly longer than the usual, but but there's some deep and meaningful stuff, profound stuff, world-shaping but stuff in this. I went and made a cup of tea while you were reading. Well, I noticed you disappeared and... And you weren't really concentrating. I mean, what were you? No. Were you jotting down? Well, were you jotting down the the soul-searching poetry that that was going to come and erupt and change the world? Well, it's funny that that did catch my imagination. So yeah, while you were talking away, I did have a bit of a go at a poem, and I think I've got something. I'm ready. Pretty, I'm ready. Go pretty on. radical. Hit me with your Blake-like yeah, poetic a, consciousness. You've got to think outside of the box with this is this is something directed right at the heart of the church coming from the outside challenging it shaking it to wow. its system prophetic, to the core. prophetic yeah, yeah, heart okay. exactly so I think we'll give this a first, first draft okay we'll give it a go okay, okay. So. I'm ready I'm ready okay there once was a country parson who one day was convicted of arson he was so sick of the pews so reported the news that he conveniently left the gas on Gas on? It's gas on. Really, Pete? Really? Things work, but I think there's something there. 